I want to invite everyone to open your Bible to Exodus chapter 18. Exodus is the second book in the Bible, so if you start at the beginning, Genesis, the story of God as creator, the origins of humanity and the world, and then into Exodus, which is the story of God's liberation. And uh, we're going to be in Exodus 18, and Exodus 18 is a transition chapter in the book. Chapters 1 through 18, God is delivering his people, and chapter 19 and following, they're on Mount Sinai, engaging God's law, and we're going to pick that back up in a few uh, weeks uh, later in the summer, so we're going to be wrapping up this portion of Exodus this morning. We'll be back in later in the summer, summer looking at God's law and love, uh, so we're excited for that. I'm going to read our passage. Uh, it's, a, it's a large one, um, so I'm going to do begin in verse 1 and then pick up again in verse 7. We have this reunion between Jethro and Moses. Exodus 18, beginning in verse 1. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. And then picking up in verse 7. Your father-in-law Jethro... And coming to you with your, I'm sorry, in verse 7, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. And then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, and that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone? And all the people stand around you from morning till evening. And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know know the statutes of God and his laws. And Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And then picking back up in verse 24. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times, and hard cases they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. This is the word of God for the people of God. We've been walking through the story in Exodus, seeing God's salvation. And 
what we've said is that God's salvation is really a picture of liberation. God liberating people from the bondage of serving any God but himself. And we reach this transitional chapter in the book, and it's tempting to ask, why is this here? We have stories of God's work in the desert, providing food, and then stories of God's work in providing water in a rock. But why is there a chapter about leadership and responsibilities? And what we see right here is God's grace in the work, that God's grace in the desert is that he invites us into his story, but not to work alone. And so this morning, as we close this chapter of God's work in the desert, we're reminded of the invitation to engage God's work. One of the things we've wanted to say, we've been saying about the story in Exodus, is that we don't just read this as some events detached from our story, events that happened years ago, but we come to it and ask, how does it breathe fresh life into our story today? And the same God that, wanted to, that brought Liberation for his people is the same God that desires to bring liberation now. And in the same way that he raises up Moses and a people to lead that effort, he wants to raise up you and me to invest in this cause today. The same God that brought liberation then can bring liberation now, and he wants to invite you and me into that work. And in this important chapter In the story, we find some incredible practical lessons on what that means. And so let's look five ways, five lessons on leadership when we think of joining God's story of liberation and redemption. What are some lessons in leadership for us today? No matter who you are, you might consider yourself a leader or not. You know, all of us are leading someone, even if that's just ourself. And also, in leading others, it begins with leading ourselves. And so, whoever you are, wherever you're from, uh, my hope is that all of us leave this morning with a bit clearer picture of the opportunity of joining God's story and what it means for us practically. Five lessons. Uh, first, joining God's story of redemption and liberation means investing in God's work investing in God's work, joining God in his story of bringing liberation and redemption today. In Exodus 9, God gets to the heart of what he's doing in this story. In Exodus 9, 16, it says, but for this purpose, I have raised you up. God says, I have raised you, Moses. I've brought you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. God raises up Moses, not just so that Moses can be in awe of God and God's goodness and God's power, but so that through Moses and through this work, the whole world could see the power of God, the goodness of God, the God who can bring liberation. Picking back up in our chapter in in 18, it begins in verse 1. It says, Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard, he heard of all that God had done for Moses and for his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now, we met Jethro earlier in the story. The last time Jethro and Moses had met, Jethro and Moses, they were saying goodbye. Moses had met God in a burning bush, and God had called him to bring liberation. And can you imagine that conversation? 
between Moses and his father-in-law Jethro. Hey, Jethro, so, you know, while I was, while I was wandering in the wilderness, I met God. Oh, you, you met God. What, well, what happened? Well, he was in a, a bush that was burning, but it wasn't consumed. Oh, interesting. Well, what did this burning bush tell you? Uh, the burning bush uh, sent me back to Egypt to free God's people from slavery. And, of course, I'm sure Jethro could maybe at that moment be a little concerned and wondering what kind of burning bush uh, Moses may have actually met. And so... But eventually he sends him, he lets him go. And I wonder if either of them thought they'd ever see each other again. As Jethro says goodbye to his son-in-law, goodbye to his daughter and his grandchildren. And as they leave, Moses just taking a staff in his hand, going to confront the strongest military power in the world can't help but Jethro, night after night, after that encounter, he just maybe grieved, maybe regretted allowing them to go. But then he hears the news. He hears that God comes through, that liberation and salvation is at hand. And here's the deal. In that region, Jethro wasn't the only one longing to see God's, God come through in this story. Jethro, many like him, would have been well acquainted with the power of Pharaoh. They would have known and heard stories of what happened when you went against that power. And here he hears the story of God's liberating work. I can imagine the tears, the celebration, the broken down. that he hears that God has come through. God has liberated I imagine it would have been much like the part in Star Wars when the Death Star explodes and everyone around in the galaxy is celebrating because the evil empire has been overthrown. God has shown up. God has brought liberation. A God has entered the story and his name isn't Pharaoh. He brings salvation and liberation. And Moses, Moses, the beginning of his story, meeting God. And Moses, at the very beginning, as we're reminded, he, God didn't show up and say, Moses, I'm sending you to the Egyptians to bring freedom. And Moses said, sweet, I've been waiting for this. Let's do it. <sighs> Moses doubted. He whined. He complained. He wanted no part. He wanted no part. God raises him up. God raises up a normal person, a doubting, sinning Man in Moses. And there's this temptation. I'm sure Moses may have felt it when he was called to this work. And there's a temptation for us today as well. Rather than heed the call that God places on our life to enter into the brokenness of our world, rather than heed the call that God placed on our life to enter into the prisons to bring freedom and liberation, there's the temptation to make our cause about our comfort. The temptation to make our cause our comfort. And we call this the American dream. <laughs> the American dream. A dream that uh, one day we might have a nice home in the safest part of town with the best education for our children possible, using money to pursue our, our comforts, taking money and Investing it in, in pleasures now, but also investing some 
in an account that will accumulate more wealth so that one day, one day, the dream could be complete. Where we could, as one pastor, John Piper, put it, we could retire and end up walking on a beach in Florida collecting seashells. Wow. What a dream. I mean, who wouldn't want to be a part of that work? To invest our time, our lives, and at the end of it, to walk on a beach and get a bag and bucket full of shells. At the end of which, we can kick back and present them to God, present them to our children, present them to the world. See, this dream can be for you today. Friends, if that's our dream, we're wasting our life. If you want to flourish, you need to be a part of a story much bigger than that. A dream that is bigger than just your contemporary comfort. God invites Moses into a work that has implications for the whole world. And he's inviting us into that world today. Don't waste your life. Invest your time, talent, and treasure in a work that will go on after you're gone. The first lesson we learn here is investing in things that matter. And, and before we move on, at Scarlet City, there's a number of young people. Many young people here. And that is a good thing. There's so many decisions that await you in your future. So many opportunities in your future. Commit now to invest your life in causes that matter. And also, uh, one of the good, the good things at Scarlet City is we're growing in people with some wisdom and life experience. And maybe you're at a place in your life, and I've heard this from many people as they've grown in years, that looking back, they wish they had done it different. And if you find yourself at that place today, there is still opportunity, still opportunity. The last, the last years of your life could be the most fruitful. Investing in work that will continue after you're gone. We begin by being reminded that God invites all of us. He wants to build us up to invest in work that ultimately matters. We also join God's work by pers persevering in the midst of hardship. Moses and Jethro have this meeting. In verse 7, it says, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, bowed down and kissed him. We have this, this celebration, this reunion and then in verse 8, Moses begins to share with Jethro what happened. Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. And then look at what he says. <clears throat> all the hardship that had come upon them along the way. As Moses is sharing this, I can't help but all the things he's thinking about. Recalling the struggle along the way. The times where he probably was ready to quit. I mean, there were a lot of different moments as we've engaged in this story, a lot of different places where moments could have thrown, Moses could have thrown in the towel. Maybe it would have been when he first went back to Pharaoh, ready, armed with God's word. He says, free these people. And Pharaoh basically laughs. He said, who is your God? Who is this God you speak of? Not only am I not going to free these people you love, I'm going to add to their work. 
Maybe it was right there where Moses is like, oh man, you know, I, I started getting excited about what was going to happen. I show up and I only make it worse. Or maybe it was time after time after time when the people Moses was called to lead complained and accused Moses of actually, rather than liberating them, killing them. And that got to the point where we saw last week where they were ready to put him on trial and stone him. Maybe that was the moment when people are, have rocks in their hand ready to kill him. The most is like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> time, time, and time again. It would have made perfect sense for Moses to say, this just, this isn't worth it. <laughs> and yet he persevered in the call. Anytime you invest in a cause greater than your comfort, you will experience challenges. It won't be easy. And often we have this idealistic sense. We enter into it and we think, you know what? I'm teaming up with God and we are going to change the world. It's going to be amazing. Yes, God, I will go. Send me. All right. And then we get in the work and then we experience pain and trial and challenge. And we think, God, well, God no, this, this, you never talked about this in my burning bush moment. And there's this temptation, too, for us to think that the rules don't apply to us. Moses may experience hardship. Every other leader might experience hardship. But, you know, our story is going to be different. We're going to enter in, and it's going to, be, it's going to go exactly how we planned. And there's this temptation to think we're above the rules. You know, one pastor was speaking on this topic, and he equated it to a quarterback wearing a red jersey in practice. And that really stuck with me because when I was younger, I played quarterback. And I remember my first year playing in the eighth grade in practice. They put this little red jersey. I think it was actually maybe a black jersey, but whatever, you get the point. And, um, and we were practicing. And the rules of tackling did not apply to me in those moments. And it wasn't until, uh, I think, the second game of the season that I had ever been tackled. I was operating that... You know, as a quarterback, I was kind of untouchable. But what you find out is in the games, the person they want to crush more than anybody is the quarterback. And so I take the snap, start running like an idiot, you know, up the middle, standing straight up, and I just got hammered. Hammered. I thought, I thought it was it right there. There's this temptation to think that the rules don't apply to us, but when we get into the game of life, we're sobered up. When the challenges and pains and struggle just crush us into the ground. If you're investing in God's work, you will experience pain, struggle, disappointment. There will be hardship. How do we respond? We'll want to quit, we'll want to throw in the towel. What do we do? We want to join God. We want to join God's work in our home. Maybe you're here and God's been stirring in you. You want to invest in your family. You think, yes, we're going to make disciples of our children. We're going to start good rhythms of worship in our home. So you map it out. You talk about getting the kids together. You're going to have a Bible study and prayer and maybe even do some singing. And you have this expectation that the children are going to show up in this moment. And they're going to say, praise God. Praise Him. Mom and Dad have, are here to teach us the ways of the Bible, the oracles of God. This is going to be marvelous. That might not happen. 
You be there with your kids, excited for this moment, and what are they going to do? What? Oh my goodness. They're going to feel like their rights are violated. They're going to feel like there's nothing in the world they'd rather be doing than this right here. Praying to God, come on. All right, mom, you say a prayer, and then we'll all go and play. And then they're going to probably start hitting each other if there's more than one, and fighting, and you're, and you're going to want, what are you going to want to do? You want to quit. It's like Moses when people are ungrateful. You know what? Fine. Everyone go. Path of least resistance. Go and do whatever you want. Don't quit. Take the long view. How can these little moments of investing in our kids bear fruit years from now? Maybe for you, it's in the workplace. You get excited. Yes, leadership. Mm. Going into work, and I am going to, God is calling me, I'm going to model Jesus here. You know, other people are going to complain about the boss. I'm not going to complain about the boss. Other people might uh, cheat a little bit to get a sale. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to deal upfrontly with everybody. And then you enter in and you realize the struggle. And you might even have coworkers that get angry at you for being different. You might not get the sale. You might not get the promotion. And you'll go to God and you'll think, God, what is the deal? I'm trying to do what's right. And all that happens is wrong. See the long view. Persevere. Or maybe you can relate to this. Yes, I want to do ministry. What can I do? Oh, lead a small group. Yes. Uh, leading a city group at Scarlet City or maybe leading a group on campus at Ohio State or maybe leading a young life group at a school and you think this is going to be so, so good. I'm investing in God's work. And then you show up excited to teach the ways of God and no one comes. No one's there. Or people show up and they say things like, yeah, I might be back next week. You know, I was involved in another group Oh, man, it was a good group. It was a good one. You, you know, here's the contact information. You could talk to them and see what they did because this right here, this is kind of lame. <laughs> and those moments, what do you want to do? Maybe someone else. Maybe someone else. See the long view. Don't give up. Maybe you're wanting to invest in the city. You get excited about this vision of God bringing redemption You've been praying about it, and you want to take the plunge. You want to move toward addressing issues of systemic racism. You want to move to care for refugees and address poverty. And then you start to get involved, and it feels impossible. And hardship comes. Uh, people accuse you in wanting to do right of actually doing wrong, and you want to give up. The work's too great. It's too much. Persevere. Uh, don't be nearsighted. All the moments Moses could have thrown in the towel, he persevered, and now, now he can look back and see God showing up again and again and again. Persevere in God's work. Also, joining God's story of liberation and redemption uh, we're reminded that we need to live and lead within God-given limitations. Live and lead within God-given limitations. It's so interesting. In verse 10, 
we see Jethro praising God, observing all that God has done. It says that he blesses the Lord. He declares, the Lord is greater than all gods. And then he worships God. He's seen God's power, seen God at work, and he can't help but worship. And then it's so fascinating. In verse 13, look at this. The narrator wants us to see it. He wants us to see this contrast. In verse 13, the next day, the next day, first day, Jethro's praising God. He's seen God's work. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing, he said, What is this you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And later he would say, this is not good. Jethro looks, he sees God's power, God's work. And then he looks and he sees, sees Moses' power and Moses' work. One is good, one is not. Uh, Jethro knows what Moses forgets, and that is that there is one God, one God. Moses is just a person, just a human being with limitations like anyone else Moses is not God. You and I, we aren't God either. And yet, we're tempted to live and lead as if we are. There's the temptation to be God in all the ways we were not created to be. There are attributes of God that we want, we want for ourselves, like God's omniscience, that God knows all. We are not omniscient. We do not know all. The temptation to be omnipotent, God's omnipotence, that God is all-powerful. There is the temptation to fix it all. We cannot fix it all. There's a temptation to be God in that he's omnipresent, that God is everywhere. There's a temptation to be everywhere for all. We cannot be. We are not all-knowing. We are not all-powerful. We are not all-present. We are human beings with limitations. If God wanted us to live beyond our limitations, he would have created us differently. He made us people in need of him and in need of others. And you know, at first this is hard because we want to be Superman and Superwoman and we want to have all the answers and be everywhere at all times and all powerful. And yet what we have right here is a gift. A gift that we are not called to live and lead and operate in ways we were not designed to. Every one of us is a person. We all need sleep. Moses is trying, he's operating all day long. He's worn out. He's on the brink of burnout. He needs sleep. He needs to rest. He needs to delegate. And many of us need that today. You know, one way we can live by faith is by trusting God to work in ways that we can't. This is good news. God invites us not to fix all the problems of the world, not to be Him, but to just be obedient. The small ways to play our role in His larger story of liberation and redemption. What are the ways that you're trying to be God? We join God's work. Uh, we're reminded that we are not God. And one of the ways that plays out 
is that in joining God's work, we need to be teachable. We need to be teachable. Proverbs 12.15 says, The way of a fool is right in his own wise, but a wise man listens to advice. And we see that play out in our passage. In verse 15, Moses said to his father-in-law, he's responding to this question of, What are you doing, Moses? Moses wants to explain. Hey, because the people come to me to choir of God. But when they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another. And I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. And I love Jethro's response because he's basically saying, no, you don't understand, Moses. I'm not actually asking what are you doing. I'm asking why are you trying to do it all? He says, what you're doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out. For the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. Things like this, we're reminded, you know, we'd all say, yes, you know, we should be teachable. Yes, we should listen. No one would say, disagree. Disagree on that one. And yet, we struggle, don't we? It's just something when you're driving and someone says, hey, you know, here's your exit. Back off, okay? I know where the exit is as you merge through three lanes last minute. We don't want someone telling us what to do. I have this every time I drive with my grandpa. Uh, Megan knows this. She observes it every time. It's the same. You know, my grandpa, he wants to give me directions every time. We're leaving the Cincinnati area, heading south. Hey, Jay, you want to get on uh, 71 South? I know what direction we're heading in, Grandpa. I have this feeling in me, like he's treating me like a child. I'm a grown man, Grandpa. I can drive the car. And Megan thinks it's funny because she knows it bothers me and she observes this little thing, but she also knows that I drive the wrong way all the time. (laughs) I still get upset when someone gives me directions. There's this part of us that just doesn't want to listen, that doesn't want to be told what we need to do. Why? Why do we do that? We see here some really interesting things that I think can prevent us from being teachable. Uh, one is sometimes success gets to our head. You know, Moses has done a, an amazing work. He's listened to God, led God's people, an incredible job. And then his father-in-law shows up wanting to give some advice. You'd think there'd be this temptation for Moses to say, hey, Jethro, thank you very much. Um, I got this, okay. <laughs> you know, I... I have used this staff here and brought down plagues, and I've done all kinds of things. You know, I'm a big deal. They're going to put me in the Bible one day. You know, you'll be there too because you knew me. Um, I got this, okay? You can imagine success going to Moses' head, and that could happen to us. We can want to be and think we are experts in everything. We experience a little bit of success, and we think we know all like celebrities who want to lecture everyone on global politics and everything, success in one occupation, thinking that it breathes success into everything. You know who's the worst at this? Pastors. Pastors. Uh, We think that as a spiritual leader, we go to seminary, we learn some Bible, and we think that we 
are the experts in everything. We can talk about money. We can talk about parenting. We can talk about leadership. (laughs) We're the expert. Small success in one area uh, gives us authority to speak in every area. That's just not true. That's just not true. Uh, We need to be teachable. We need to be able and willing to listen to others, especially when we experience some success in life. Another way this plays out is that there's this temptation to only listen to people in our tribe. There's this temptation to only be taught by people who agree with us on everything. Who does God bring to teach Moses about leadership? He brings a Midianite priest. And the narrator is very, very specific. It's repeated. A Midianite priest, Jethro, comes and lectures Moses on leading God's people. Now, there could be this temptation especially among Christians, to think, you know, we just can't learn from non-believers. Just can't learn from them. And that would be very arrogant. I can't help but God is teaching something to Moses and to us today, and that is that there are lessons to be learned by everyone in every situation. Moses listens to Jethro. Jethro has godly, good advice. Who are the voices and people that God is bringing into your life to teach you? Who are some of the voices that you're tempted to ignore? You know, God wants to teach us from every single person in every single situation. There are always lessons to be learned. And as Christians... Let's not be so arrogant to think that we can't learn from non-Christians. That's crazy. Take, for example, leadership. You know, many of the best resources on leadership. Let me rephrase that. The best resources on leadership are written by non-Christians. The Harvard Business Review and many others have invested a lot of money and hard work making observations about how people live and work. And it would be arrogant to think that because they don't have a seminary degree, we don't learn from that. Who is God bringing into your life to teach you about how to live and lead well? Joining God's work. We invest in what matters. We're patient when it's painful. Remember, we're human rather than God. We're teachable. And lastly, joining God's work of liberation and redemption Empower others to join God's work with you. Empower others. Verse 21, uh, Jethro is given this advice. He says, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people. Jethro says, you can't do it alone, Moses. You need to empower others. Empower others. Invite them in. Empower other people to join God's work of leading his people with you. And I bet this was so hard. This is so hard. Imagine Moses. You know, you'd think that Moses would be like, great idea, let's do that. But then people start making decisions. <laughs> and Moses, there are probably moments where other people are making a call and most like, oh my goodness, what are they doing? 
No, no, no. Get back. Stop. This is, this is crazy. We can't let other people, like, I need to make a decision. I'm sure it was hard for Moses. I also bet it was hard for the people. Even though they wanted to stone Moses, at one point, they also trusted him. They saw God lead through him. And then rather than Moses coming and sharing God's word, they had someone else. I bet there is a temptation to think, I, I want Moses. I mean, who is this? Who is this person? But ultimately, ultimately, the mission would not go forward if others weren't empowered. Healthy leaders are vulnerable. They recognize they cannot do it on their own. And healthy leaders empower people to join with them in God's work. As we close, kind of closing with a little bit of good news and the bad news. What happens if we don't have chapter 18? What happens if Moses doesn't invite people in? Moses suffers, he burns out, he probably quits. Others suffer, they miss the opportunity to invest in this important work. The mission suffers. There's a bottleneck. And things don't continue after Moses is gone. One of the great privileges of life is that God invites us to join him in his work. And we have the blessing of doing it with others. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for being a liberating and redeeming God. And God, thank you for graciously inviting us into that work. May we invest our lives not in an American dream of making it all about our comfort, but may we invest it in the dream of the gospel that you are at work. And in your work, you are bringing freedom and liberation in the world. We're reminded of Jethro and others hearing the good news of your work in the world. May we, may we live lives that bring that good, bear, that good news to bear today. That people would look and see and worship because there is a power in God and his name is not Pharaoh. Lord, sustain us in this work because it's so hard, it's so easy to quit. May we be a community of grace that encourage one another to partner in your work here and now. We pray this in the name of your Son and the power of the Spirit. Amen.